Hi, everyone. My name is Pumin Dobo. I'm the digital cluster exec responsible for sales in Gauteng. I have the great pleasure of welcoming you to episode six of the Inspire series. Last week, we heard from Colin Coleman on purposeful leadership from a global perspective. If you missed last week's episode, please take a moment to watch the full webinar recording on our website on ioko.tech. Stay tuned as Colin Isle speaks to the CEO of The Unlimited, Andrew Wood. In my view, Andrew is an inspirational visionary. He's a CA by training and also a people's person. Colin will chat to him about using purpose to develop autonomous high-performance teams. You're welcome to post your questions on, and, or comments on the chat for our speaker. I'd like to hand over now to Colin Isles of Innovation Catalysts, who will facilitate the, the conversation. Colin, thanks. Over, over to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed there, uh, Pumi. And um, Andrew, a very warm, very warm welcome indeed. And um, what I, I wanted to kick things off um, by getting a bit of background, because I do want to talk about autonomous, high-performing teams. Um, I want to talk about some of these really what to an outsider might come across as being incredibly weird and wacky models that you're running inside the Unlimited. But I think we've got to give a little bit of context first um, about what the Unlimited is all about, what the history is, where your decision was to actually go and move across into the group. So let, let's start with that. Um, could you just explain a little bit about the history of the Unlimited and then bring us up to speed about your kind of offering at the moment? Wonderful. Uh, yeah, thank you, Colin. And um... A warm, a warm afternoon to everybody. I was in Johannesburg a little bit earlier this week, and I actually I couldn't believe how hot it was. I've, believe it or not, I've come back to Durban to get a bit of cooler weather. Um, but um, yeah, Colin, so if I, if I go back um, to 1994, I obviously wasn't with the group then. Um, the Unlimited was founded in 1994, and um, apologies if there's a little bit of noise in the background. Um, and essentially, the Unlimited started as a distribution business. And the Unlimited's great strength was it had the ability to sell. And the Unlimited has a very unique um, sales model um, that equips our people with the ability to sell. And um, through that, we create a number of entrepreneurs. And as the, um, as the model has evolved and grown over the years, what, what, where we really sit today is we've got a business that has um, an incredible ability to sell and distribute product. That's our, one, that's our one asset. Our other asset is that we have the ability to build product and that product um, it has a variety. It's, it's both insurance, non-insurance and other benefits. You know, we've we got a business that can, that can offer data, airtime, other rewards you can buy. For example, you can buy a, a checkers voucher through our rewards program. So what we then able to do is we're able to use our very powerful distribution business, our ability to package product and um, we then sell that into the South African market and we create an annuity book. And that annuity book essentially, um, the unlimited services, pays claims, um, and, and um, that annuity book is then used to obviously pay um, our operating expenses and for our sales. And, and today we sit with an incredible, and then, and then over and above that, our fourth asset, if you want to call it, is that we um, today, have a strategy to build leadership. And um, we work very, very hard at, um, at building leaders internally and recruiting really strong leaders from outside and building them in our way of leadership. And we've got a philosophy let's, in the business. Let's come, up, let's, come, 
let's come on to that leadership. Sorry for interrupting, but let's come on to that leadership uh, piece in a wee bit. I just um, okay. really, want to, what, really want to understand that sales distribution model um, because, um, and, if, and if you can explain it in a way that I can understand it, then obviously everyone on the call is going to understand it because it is, it's quite unique and it sort of comes from the history of the unlimited group. Yeah, so if I start, and, and I know you're gonna, you may touch on this a little bit later, is we've got, we're a purpose-driven business and we depart from values. So I just want to set that context and, 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 and our purpose is to shift lives. So that's where the distribution model starts with the ability to shift individuals' lives. So individuals come into our business straight out of school. You don't need a, you don't need a degree. You just need a matric and, a, and an ID number. And essentially, you can join our business. And we, we teach and train individuals how to sell. We have a very unique sales model. And what we do is we teach them to sell. And at the unlimited, um, they then have the ability through that sales model to be able to um, become entrepreneurs and own their own business. Um, and the average owner um, goes from an entry level, what we call trainee, to owner in, in anything from seven, eight months to, to 15, 16 months. And, and then that individual owns their own business, whether it's between 15 and 100 people. And they have the ability to really, really earn some incredible money. We've got some unbelievable stories of guys who, who we, we have a guy in our business who was a bricklayer, came into our business. He now has 300 people earn, um, 300 people under him and he earns, um, he earns a serious, a seriously good salary. Well, a seriously good income in a year. They're not salary, these guys. And um, essentially what they do is they sell our product, the unlimited product, we provide um, the infrastructure, the support, the product, and then they sell our product and we then the unlimited um, service that product and um, look after those customers. And what sort of infrastructure do you provide them? And, and, um, and I guess how did that change over the last kind of 12, 18 months with COVID if it did? Yeah, great question. So um, we have two distribution, two main distribution channels um, of which you know, 95% of our sales come through. It's um, a traditional tele, well, not traditional, but it's a telesales um, model where we have bars and call centers who are selling. And then we have face-to-face -face, um, people who guys are walking the street selling selling product for us. Um, in terms of your question on infrastructure, obviously on the telesales, we provide the offices, the telephones, the computers, the telephony, and um, we, we pay for all of that, and that's the infrastructure. And then we provide them with product scripts. Um, and then in the background, um, we keep them safe through things like QA, um, making sure from a regulatory point of view, the guys are doing what they need to and, and, and really keeping their businesses safe, but providing them um, with every effort to, uh, sorry, there's been no trucks here the whole day, and uh, there's been two in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> sorry. Um, oh, no, I love it. If you, could, um, if you could organize for some pets to join you as well yeah, and, and maybe yeah. children and, you know, wives and partners, <laughs> yeah. even better. Yeah, so anyway, so, so that at a telesales level will be the infrastructure and on the face-to-face -face side, not too dissimilar on the keeping them safe part. We keep the guys safe. We provide them with incredible product. Um, we, we, um, we then also, a lot of those guys um, have offices or branches that they go into in the morning and collect their uh, merchandise and stock and all of that. And we provide all of that for them. So really they need to go out and sell and be the best salesman they can be 
and we look after the rest. Okay, um, so, that's, so that's kind of, um, I suppose, quite a traditional model in different parts yeah. of the world and, and certainly a number of companies are, are doing that here in South Africa in different product sets. Is this the reason why many people on the call or listening to the, the videos that published afterwards probably haven't heard of the Unlimited? Um, potentially, I mean, uh, you know, the Unlimited has never gone um, above the line at a branding level, and that's potentially a reason that maybe a lot of people on the call haven't heard from the Unlimited. And then our sales, our sales, um, well, they're not ours, but the independent um, sales guys, they have their own brands and their own, um, and so for example, um, they might call themselves, one of them is Capital Growth. And they have a brand, but they sell the unlimited product. So that's potentially a reason. Um, yeah, and just we've been, we have been deliberate in the past that we, we have put our, um, channeled a lot of our money and spend into, um, into growing these sales agents and into product and into creating the best, the best value for money product in the market like for like. And we haven't necessarily put that money into above the line marketing campaigns. Um, mm. and, and that's, that's probably, a, probably a reason why we're not as well known um, as some of the other big, um, big players in the market. Well, we might come back to that, but just to put up, um, um, you know, to give people a sense of the scale, how many people are you covering at the moment? Would you expect? Um, oh, are you talking customers? Um, yeah. We've got about 600, we've got 650,000 customers, um, um, on our one book, and then um, we've got over three hundred thousand customers on our on our cellular book. So just under a million customers of we cover It blew me away when I heard that number. It's a significant number of people, considering how um, unknown you are because of that decision not to market above the line through the normal media channels, which most other organisations are doing. It seems to be working incredibly well for you. I assume it's a lot cheaper to go down that approach as well. Um, it may be. I think um, stri strategically, though, we are looking at, at, at changing that um, to be more relevant in the South African market. Um, at you know, we're we're a purpose-driven business, and shifting lives is one of our purposes. And it, it started with our sales agents. We've got to shift the lives of our customers through incredible product, through paying claims, um, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, we, we're looking for. We're always looking for how we can invest our money into shifting people's lives. And the number is actually a lot more than a million because the majority of people who have cover with us would have two or three dependents under them. So you're probably looking, you know, north of when I last looked at the numbers, four, four and a half million people are covered. Wow, that's amazing. What was it that made you take the jump into the Unlimited? You joined in 2015 and I'm just going to be really blunt about this one. Sales and insurance sales companies is not for everybody. And I know you don't want me to say insurance sales, but those are your core products, you know, at the moment. You offer a lot more than, than insurance. But not many people would look at that and say, yes, I definitely want to get in it. But something sparked your interest in 2015 to move into the Unlimited. What was it? I'll, I'll be 100% honest with you and all the listeners. When I got a phone call in late 2014, I had never personally heard of the Unlimited. And um, I was on holiday in Umschlange with my family. Um, I had two very, very small children then. I've now got three um, children, one very small one, and then two a little bit older. And um, I said to my wife, um, 
let me go chat to these guys and just understand a little bit more. If, if anything, I use it as a, as a really cool um, um, education, ed education piece for me. I was in a business that was annuity based. And, um, you know, I was happy. I was doing well. It's a wonderful business. Um, if there's anybody from that business listening, it's, re it's really a wonderful business. Um, and, um, yeah, I came into the business and I met the then CEO. I met the financial director. I met the head of leadership. And um, in half an hour, the culture, the purpose, the values of the business just blew me away. Um, that I got back to Mschlange and I said to my wife, um, Hey, do you want to go live in Durban? And, uh, um, you know, six weeks later, we had sold our house in Johannesburg. We had bought a house here um, in Durban. And um, I was working for the Unlimited. And I, and I often look back and say that was the best decision I've ever made. And, um, and it's because the business resonates so deeply with me at a purpose level. And um, we truly make a difference to people's lives at the Unlimited. And it is an incredible, incredible business to work for. And I personally have had some massive personal shifts both in my own leadership in my personal life um, in some of the things that I've experienced while working at the unlimited the way of thinking so you know I've been at the unlimited over six years now and um, yeah I wouldn't leave it for anything in the world so let's dig into this cultural difference then um, okay we've got to ask you about purpose I think you've mentioned it quite a few times now what is unlimited's purpose and how strongly centered is the organization around it because in all honesty i find most organizations that come up with their mission and uh, sort of statements and their purpose statements really it's a marketing piece and it's not actually living in the dna of the organization so what what is the unlimited's purpose and and how strongly centered is it for you as a leadership team so the unlimited purpose is firstly we call it a massive transformative purpose as opposed to a purpose and if and if you've ever read the the book exponential organizations um we we picked up we picked it up there um the, the concept of a massive transformative purpose and the ability to galvanize people and a business behind it and actually also then create a business that can live for a hundred plus years if it's purpose driven as opposed to just living from quarter to quarter. So our massive transformative purpose is to shift lives. Um, and, and it's to shift lives uh, um, across the spectrum. It's to shift our customers' lives. It's to shift our people's lives. It's to shift our communities' lives. It's to shift our shareholders' lives. Um, you know, it's, to, it's, it's just to really make a difference in the world. And um, the proof is in the pudding if anybody phoned anybody right now while I'm talking to you and asked somebody in the Unlimited today, what is the purpose of the Unlimited? They would give you the same answer I've given you now. And I can really sit here in all confidence knowing that every single person at head office, in our customer care business, anybody who, um, who has closely associates themselves with us, including our sales agents, they would all talk about shifting lives. And the difference we make. Um, and, and so it, it doesn't have to live on a wall somewhere. Um, if, you, if you walk into the building, we don't have it printed up on a massive poster behind the front desk. We don't actually have a reception at head office. You just sort of walk in. And, um, and, the, and because it is so deeply ingrained in the culture, we talk about it all the time. We live it. Every time we make a decision, 
we ask ourselves, are we making a decision um, for money or are we making a decision for purpose? Obviously, your cup needs to be full financially if you want to make a difference. I mean, um, there, there is some reality in that, that we need to make profits and we need to be efficient and we need to um, do that to, make, to be able to make a difference. But the real decision-making, the real crux of it comes down to, to purpose. And you it's got board level, you know? It? I was just going to say, we'll come back to the board level in a, in a wee moment. Have you got examples of how you refine your decision-making based around that purpose? Plenty. I'll give you one example. During the pandemic last year, our sales agents um, are paid um, on commission only. Um, when COVID shut down, a lot of other businesses were um, stopped paying guys who couldn't sell. We paid our guys and they didn't make a single sale through the pandemic. It's about purpose, about shifting lives, about making a difference. Um, you know, we've got the unlimited child, 3,000 creches we look after today. It's purpose-driven, you know. We, um, our products we, we produce, our products are comfortably 40, 40 to 50% like-for-like um, cheaper, I hate that word, but um, less expensive than any other product in the market. And that's because we deliberately want to give our customers incredible value. Um, and we've got other areas, you know, guys who we've, we've got some instances where individuals can't afford policies. They've been retrenched. They've been on our book for a long time. They've been very loyal customers. We give them a three-month holiday. Um, you know, so, so there, there are lots and lots of instances in the business where it has shown up in the past and continues to show up. The way we design products is... I came um, researching this, sorry, was um, what I thought it was well worth uh, getting out there was the, um, the role that you played for the frontline workers during the pandemic and offering insurance cover. Can you just talk about that? Yeah, the Heroes Campaign, it was called, and we offered all frontline workers... Um, up to 100,000 rand in um, accidental death cover, I, I, I think, you <laughs> called me there off. But yes, and then that was last year during that. And that was purely just to say thank you to those frontline workers to know that um, if something happened to them while they were traveling to work or in the frontline, that, that they would have cover for free. And that cover actually um, didn't even, still today, doesn't even have an expiry date on it. The guys who signed up on that cover are on that cover. And not, we're not going to say, hey, that was a three-month or a six-month or a 12-month. It, it's covered. They're on our books, and we'll look after them. And if they choose uh, never to buy a product through that, so be it. How did you take that decision? Because, um, you know, you've already named a couple of things which are directly and negatively impacting your bottom line. In a normal organization, you'd look at these and go, but one way or another, we're either taking dividend out from private investors or we're taking it out from public shareholders. How, how do you go through that decision-making process? Because you're putting money into the, you know, into the unlimited uh, child foundation. There's clearly an insurance premium you're having to pay to get cover for the people that have taken up this offer in the frontline, you know, workers. There's a cost for paying out effectively salaries, uh, you know, to staff who aren't generating income during this uh, pandemic. So there's there's not one of these which is particularly, at least in the short term, good for your P&L. How do you take this decision about when to stop? So um, we're building a 100-year business. 
is, is, is our vision to build a hundred year business for our children's children that'll still be shifting that'll still be shifting lives effectively a hundred years from now. We're building a business that will still be shifting lives a hundred years from now. So we don't make decisions with a quarter's results in mind or with six months results in mind. We take decisions that are going to be good for the long term and the long game. And um, with that Heroes campaign, it was the right thing to do at the right time. To pay our sales agents through a pandemic was the right thing to do at the right time. Coming through a pandemic, we need that is one of our key, key assets. We need a strong, powerful workforce. Um, we have one of our underlying philosophies as a business is win-win. If you're winning, I'm winning, the shareholders are winning, et cetera, et cetera. So, so we really depart from win-win on, on all fronts. And then, and then, yes, there's absolutely always an element of, of commercial viability to any decision. But sometimes you just look at it through a slightly different lens of purpose and not always the numbers. We, I, I, I don't want... I don't want to sound um, what well, I don't know the right word, but we absolutely do make decisions through through a commercial lens. Um, but but sometimes we we look at things and say, well, um, commercially we can make it go round, but then in a purpose driven um, environment and building a business for a hundred years, this is something we need to do, and then we then we become purpose driven and not profit driven in the short term. If we build an incredible brand where people want to come work for us, the best leaders in South Africa want to come work for us, we can build an incredibly big business. And we may have to have some short-term um, financial um, um, pain to get there, if that makes sense. So we're investing heavily now in leadership and people and uh, recruiting ahead of the curve. When a lot of co companies in South Africa today are buttoning down the hatches. How, do, how does this, this is a question from Shane Ward. How does the product set that you've got tie in with this purpose of transforming stroke shifting lives? It's a great question. Was that Shane Warne, the cricketer? Uh, Ward, not Warne. Uh, <laughs> He's uh, even more um, important. So the, um, you know, we look at, we look into the marketplace and look for product that can shift an individual's life. So really good quality product. Today, um, a lot of our product is around the any death space, accidental hospital cash, um, accidental death, and then we bundle that with non-regulated insurance products, things like um, EMS, which is when you get an ambulance, some cellular data benefits. And we always try, we always look to build product where individuals in the market and consumers will get incredible value that they couldn't get anywhere else. So for example, um, if, if somebody has a SIM card where they are limited today and they're buying off our app, we double up everything. So if you buy a hundred rand worth of airtime, you get 200 rand. If you buy a gig, I think we're doing, um, I can't remember, I don't want to, quote numbers, um, but if you, I know every single thing you get double. So you get one gig of data and you buy one gig, you get another gig for free. So we're always looking at it through the lens of win-win and how can we um, provide our customers with the best value for money product out there. We don't always get it right, eh? I must admit that. We've had some issues with claims. Might be an elephant in the room. We've had some issues with claims. We, we had a whole bunch of customers that... Um, 
that that um, we were dealing with a service provider that we weren't getting, we, we weren't dealing with claims as efficiently as we could have. And every single one of those customers we phoned and we've made right with them. And we're still working through that list to fix. So we don't always get it right. Um, but we do make a commitment to our people, to our customers, um, that that at an intent level, we have to get it 100% right. And when, when individuals share stuff uh, with us on social media, hello, Peter, et cetera, we, I, I read every single social media complaint that comes online every single day. I take half an hour at the end of the day, 45 minutes, and I read every single one because I want to hear what the customers are saying so that we can make a difference and become a better business to South African consumers. So, do you find that risky? I mean, um, I think this will resonate with a lot of people on the call from um, EOH here. We look back a couple of years and think how transparent Stephen Van Collar was when the issues started to get published in the newspapers and how they were going to go and deal with it and creating apps for people to whistleblow and to highlight where fraud and other crimes were being you know, actually committed. But um, a lot of people shy away from this kind of naked transparency because they're scared about brand and brand value. How did you sort of you know, come to that uh, decision to be open like you are now about some of the complaints that are coming through? A lot of people just hide it. So uh, I, I shared earlier, um, Colin, that, that we're a values-based business. We've got seven values. And I'm just going to, um, I'm just going to list them all. Um, we've got, we, we have the value of love, ownership, discipline, passion, play, restless, and real. And being open and transparent with people, when, when, if you work for the Unlimited and you truly embrace the values, then it's very, very easy to take ownership for your mistakes. It's one of our values. And, be, and to be open and transparent and say, guys, we've made a mistake. Sorry, this is how we're going to fix it. And, and ours is easy. We just come from values. And um, it's no different to at home with your children or your wife. Um, you, you know, you either resonate with values or you don't. And, um, you know, we as an organization, the people who work for us resonate with the values and, and we open and transparent. Um, and, and, and for me, it can't be any other way. Um, and not every, and, and as I say, not everybody's going to see it like that. And we, 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 can't, we can't keep everybody happy all the time, but we are going to stick to our values. And if we make a mess up, we're going to do the right thing and fix it. And we do make mess ups. How, how strongly do you stick um, to your values? I remember uh, I did a, a post which generated a fair amount of chit chat on the back of it. And I've seen this term used in previous organizations. Well, I'm going to summarize it and just say, we've got this no jerks policy, which you can effectively say is we've got a policy where if you don't apply the values, we're not going to keep you in the organization. Lots of organizations pretend that they're going to do this. And when you look around at the senior leadership team level, you quite often find that it's clearly not being implemented. You know, whatever it might be, too much knowledge, experience, history, networks, too much of a, uh, you know, bringing in the, uh, the revenue for the organization. It takes a really strong leader to actually turn around and remove someone from the organization who's not living to the values. You know what I'm going to ask. Have you got into that position where you've had to remove people because they're not living with your values? The simple answer is yes, plenty of times. And um, we've got a director who sits on our board and... Um, he shared about two years ago, he said, one thing I love about the Unlimited is decision-making is very, very simple because we come from our values. 
we've asked senior people to leave. I don't necessarily want to get into the exact the content of the examples, but we have parted ways with very senior people for values breaks. And the decision of the quick decisions, five minutes. You came in, you behaved in a way that was against our values and doesn't make you wrong. It's just not a fit for us. And we say thank you very much and, and part ways. And um, there is zero compromise in that space, Colin, because as soon as there is compromise, then then what's the point of having the values on the wall? Mm. Um, you, know, you mentioned the board earlier. How important is it to have the board support on this? It's very important, obviously. But the thing I want to share about our board is our board drive the values down into the business, which is an incredible place to be. So um, it starts with a board, and our board are incredibly values-driven, and the guys live the values. They talk the values. One of our values is play, and um, play just means enjoy the journey, have a good time. We go away. We go away for a weekend. We go have dinners together once, you know, once every few weeks. You know, we'll sit in a board meeting. You know, I got dressed up for you today in my T-shirt. Um, you know, we, um, we, you know, we just have a good time and we enjoy what we do. We work very hard and we output based and high octane business. But it starts. It the the value start. The point I'm trying to make is the value starts with the board. And I believe our board live the values incredibly well, and that then flows into the business. We we celebrate a value every month. So this month we're doing the value march. We're doing the value of passion. Every Friday, the, the entire head office gets together for between thirty to forty-five minutes. We share some stories of how passion has shown up in our business. Um, passion essentially at unlimited means have you gone the extra mile? Um, how passionate are you? Are you taking your job? Um, have you shifted somebody's life today in a in a passionate way in the work context? And then we get guys to share some examples. We have an award at the end of the month called the Saluta Dude, and we uh, the Saluta Dude is for the individual who's shown the most passion in that month in their role, not goofing around outside. You know, in their role, and um, and then we celebrate that. And and then annually, what we do. Um, is a lot of organizations will have their annual awards. Our premier event internally is our annual awards um, where we bring our partners along. And it's really important that we do things that our partners are part of the journey, our spouses and, and that, because they, you know, the Unlimited is a, as much part of them as it, as it is the individuals who work for us. And at our annual awards, we don't celebrate the best salesman of the year or the person who saved us the most money or the this or the that. We set, we have um, our most prestigious awards or we have an award per um, value. So we go through a very rigorous voting process and we have a winner for the value of love. We have a winner for the value of discipline. We have a winner for the value of ownership. And they get a nice big poster in the front of the office and they carry that award around and they're the ambassador of that value for the year. And those are the, the so that's how we bring it alive, you know, and, and we're very, very and specific around creating a values-based business. Can you tell can you tell me about the award of love? Because I don't think I've ever heard of a company, maybe someone on the call knows one. I don't think I've ever heard love, which is a real shame. What is yeah. in the love value? So love is about, I want to read you something. 
Yeah, and the reason I wrote it down because I want to actually make sure this really lands with everybody. Do I love myself and others enough to tell them the truth? That's what love is. If you love somebody, you tell them the truth. Do I make a positive difference in someone's life? And do I face my fears every day? That's the value of love at Unlimited. How do you get people to, you know, to buy into this? And, and, and so we've got the board level, which is great. We've got the CEO that's walking, you know, walking the talk. How do you get the next level of the leadership team and the next 100 people, especially in the central office area, to go and support these uh, values? It must be incredible. I suppose where I'm going is it must be incredibly time consuming for you. This must be hours every day focused on this. Um, it's, it's not that time consuming because the culture is very ingrained and the, the values are very ingrained in the business. As I say, our annual awards are values based. So um, there'll be a, a, an award winner for love every year. Um, we, we, we take one month a year where we, where we acknowledge and celebrate and bring that value to life. Um, we have monthly award winners um, and, and we have a very systemized way of it just lives in the culture of the business. People will sit in a meeting and say, hey, I just want to, you know, what you said to me didn't work for me. And it's, there's no ego. It's just you're coming from a place of love. So the person's like, okay, I understand. Thank you. Um, so it's, it's, it's such a rich part of our culture, these values, that it's not that difficult to, to bring alive because they are alive. Mm. It, the, the thing for us that's important is when new people come into the business, new people go on a, a three to six month immersion where they don't do anything in the business except learn our way of being, our way of leadership and the business before they actually start their role. Can you just say that again? I don't have anything to read like you did to get the point across around love. <laughs> I want to make sure I heard that correctly. How long do they come into the business before they actually start doing their roles? Three to six months before they do anything in their role. Do absolutely nothing for three to six months outside of learn the business, learn our values, um, and, and learn our way of being as an organization. We expect nothing at a delivery level outside of that for the first six months. Again, that's a, that's a huge cost. So if you're thinking about how do you make sure that you get the right people in when you're going to invest that much time um, to go and, and train and support and grow, because you're talking about emotional transformation here from the guys that are coming into your organization. You, you think, I, I don't know, I don't know, I can't think of an organization they've come from where they would be um, as, I don't want to use it in a negative way, as indoctrinated about the values as opposed to their skill or the thing that they do, as you're explaining here. Good word is as immersed. Um, Better one, yeah, I'll use that next time. Yeah, so, um, so just repeat the question. I just want to make sure I'm answering the right question. Colin. How do you get the right, you know, the right people to come and join you who are going to appreciate this uh, focus on the, the emotional aspects of being part of a family when most people that come to you are going to be coming from fairly standard organizations where it was all about, yeah, work hard and networks and product and your skill set. And the reality is the amount that you're, you're thinking of yourselves as a company family is very, very low. Yeah, it's a great question. So um, we have a pretty robust um, recruitment process. Um, person goes through a culture interview first. Um, 
where our um, head of acquisition um, just recruits for culture. And we have a, we have a, um, obviously I've spoken about our culture and, and then up front in that culture interview, we very transparent on, on what, what working at Unlimited would look like. And, and we do have people who say, listen, that's just not for me. And we say, wonderful, that, that's the whole purpose of the culture interview. Then what we do is, if guys are successful at the culture interview, we take, um, at a time, we take between 20 and 30 people away for a day. And we take them through a very detailed day of um, our values, our culture, what are some of the things that are important to us? We give them a history on the unlimited. I, I go to every single one. Um, I give people an opportunity to ask a whole bunch of questions. We ask them a whole bunch of questions, like a marriage. You know, it's, it's both people must be want to be part of the relationship. And then what we do is um, the individuals then have an opportunity um, to then say, listen, this is for me or it's not for me. And that recruitment workshop is, is um, it's a sort of a 24 hour workshop, if you like. We have a dinner together, get to know the individuals. And then out of that, we offer, offer roles. Um, so in that, what we've tried, what we, and we always trying to improve the processes, the delivery of the message, um, the, the, the opportunity for questions, um, a lot of that is leadership based. So we put guys through some processes where we see their leadership. We put them through some um, some things where we really test them. And, and the purpose behind that is really around uh, making sure that individuals who come into the business from our side and from their side is a close uh, fit as possible. Um, and even then in that, people join the business and say, hey, it's not for me. And, and, and then one of two things happen in a business with, which tells me that the values and the culture is very strong. People are either very successful and they work here a long time. And a lot of our senior people and execs have long tenure in the business or they don't. It, 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 is, it, is, it is an amazing organization to work for where there is no in-between. They're successful and been here a long time or it's a short period and, and guys don't, don't, want to, don't want to work with us. And, and we find because it doesn't make anybody wrong. It's just not a fit. This culture, how does it now translate into the sort of uh, the operating model? Um, we'll start with one example I picked up. Um, you've got this thing where you don't do emails on Wednesdays, for example. What was the basis you know, for that? We're trying to get some examples out of, of different ways that you're now structured against these values and this purpose. So the idea behind email free, it's email free and meeting free Wednesday. So um, you can have a meeting. I mean, obviously it's, a, it's, a, it's more challenging now with, with the pandemic and um, you know, we, we sort of working on a bit of a hybrid model at the moment where small groups of people are coming into the office um, um, and we are busy re-looking at, at, at all of this at the moment, what a successful hybrid model would look like. But the idea behind it is that people talk to people. And, um, you know, I, for instance, um, very, very seldom use a laptop. I'm obviously using my laptop now because I'm talking to you, but I very, very seldom on a laptop and you'll very, very seldom see me send, I maybe send two emails a week, if that, maybe, 
And because of that, I don't receive very many, but I talk to a lot of people and make a lot of decisions. So the idea, the, the culture in the business is that we talk to each other, we collaborate, we move the business forward through, through collaboration and discussion and not through email. Um, in a typical corporate, email is there for one reason and one reason only. Can you guess what it is? Politics. And cover your ass. Excuse the language. <laughs> but um, that is it. So, so the, um, that is it. And we, and we don't operate in that space. Um, we operate in a space where we talk to each other. If you make a mistake, you own it and we find a solution to fix it. We don't sit and point fingers and blame. And that, yes, there's accountability. People make mistakes and they make mess ups and, 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 and there must be accountability. But we, not, we don't sit in a space where someone pulls out the email trail and says, you said that, you said that, you said this. We don't work like that. The issue, you phone the, hey, I picked up an issue. Okay, how are we going to deal it? Get three or four people in a room. Nowadays, it's obviously a lot more in teams. Um, um, but that is really the thinking behind it. And, and if it were up to me, I would get rid of email in its entirety. Um, having said that, um, there is some place for it, and, and there are some instances where we do need it. Um, this, this theme I'm always fascinated on, <laughs> and it, hopefully it picks up on a question here from uh, Constant as well. Um, if you don't do emails, how do you keep kind of audit trails and document the, uh, the discussions and decisions that you've had and how you've actually got to them? You know, do you keep meeting notes, for example? Yeah, um, I've, we, we've set the business up in a way where um, our executives do meet often and uh, we also run the business um, sort of monthly through advisories and, and key decisions are absolutely minuted and, um, you know, spend is minuted and we, and we track, we have an investment dashboard where we track what we're spending and the return we're getting on it. And so we, we absolutely do have some governance at that level, but you know, in an agile environment, when, when we've also empowered people and we've given them a mandate, don't have to record every single decision you make. You know, you record the big decision. Hey, I'm signing off marketing spend of X to go and do the, the following 20 things. And then the guys must just go do it and they learn and they make mistakes and they fail forward in that space and they fix it. Um, but don't need, a, don't need a order trail for every single one of those decisions all day, every day. So, um, so let's put a, let's put a real example around this about the autonomy which you kind of just mentioned. So uh, I've just joined the organisation. I've done my three-ish months of of uh, immersion, a better word, and I've started my role. I don't know as a as a bookkeeper, and I come up with this awesome idea. I and, I, and my idea is I would like to go and offer free insurance to frontline workers, for example, um, during the pandemic. How how do I get that? To become a reality what's your structure for taking and harvesting these ideas and turning them into executable programs and actually doing it we've got a um, an area in the business we call the command center which is effectively the spear point of the business <coughs> me, to drive the strategy somebody had an idea like that phone up someone from the command center chat to them get in a room give your idea um and, and somebody from the command center will think it's a great idea and run with it or not. And we really work like that in that space. And, and if it, and, and um, 
you know, an example like that, I wouldn't expect the 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 bookkeeper in this particular example. I wouldn't expect the bookkeeper to go and deliver and um, to go and deliver and make that happen. They they we've got people that are responsible for that type of thing. Um, and so there's someone's just bringing me a glass of water here, Colin. Thanks. Um, so we have teams of people or people who would run with those type of projects and we have an open door policy um, where somebody could just go and chat to them and maybe um, so that the message is not lost, they might pop it on an email, but it's not about an audit trail. Um, we actually do a lot of our communication through Microsoft Teams now, which works incredibly well. Um, you know, just have a group chat or you hop on a Teams call for five minutes or the whole purpose of the business. It, um, I don't know if I'm articulating myself that well in this particular instance, but the culture of the business is very much people talk to each other. Somebody, the culture is so ingrained that um, some, somebody sitting in finance could pick the phone up to somebody in the product department and say, I have a product idea. And the product person would say, great. Let me hear what you have to say. Leave it with me. Um, we'll do some testing and see see what comes of it. Is it and so it's, so that sounds incredibly unstructured, but also incredibly positive in the fact that it is so unstructured. Um, Are you basically saying anyone can pick up the phone and, and talk to you or talk to a you know a range of senior guys? Um, they'll be given airtime. They're going to have that conversation there's a reasonable chance the idea will be uh, at least investigated. 100%, yeah. The, answer, the simple answer is yes. Anybody can pick the phone up in the business and phone me and any of my executive team about anything, anytime. No, absolutely incredible. Do you think you can take that model into a larger organisation? I mean, I think, if I remember correctly, it's got about 1,500 uh, full-time employees. Is that right? No, I'm overstating that a bit, aren't I? 100 to yeah, 200 we've got, we've got about 500 permanent employees, which would include our customer care business. Um, and then we've got um, over a thousand sales agents. So Do you, um, think you could transplant this model to say, you know, a larger organization with maybe 10,000 employees or 20,000 employees. I think if you, if you, if it's structured correctly, yes. I mean, um, the reality is, I don't, I don't always have the, I don't always have the capacity to um, to take every single call, and so, so there, there is a balance. But having said that, um, I'm accessible, so people can pop me a message on Teams. I'll, I'll always read it. Um, we're very deliberate as an executive team, and we don't always get it right. But one of the things we work on is as executives. We should have 70 to 80% of our time free to work on the business and not in the business. So the business needs to be set up in a way where the operational parts of the business are running. And as executives, you don't need to worry that the operational BAU has been run. You have the ability to spend your time working on the business. Um, where is it going strategically? What are some of the structures being looked at? And then when you have that type of working on growing leadership, working with key leaders, working on their leadership, on what's breaking for them, what's working for them. Um, I shouldn't be worried about whether our collections runs next week or not. We have people, we have people to do that. So 
if I pick up something in the marketplace um, then and have an idea, I, sh I should be able to have the time and capacity to sit and think about that idea and how it can improve the business. That, that's working on the business. Um, where, where do you stand on things like vacation policy? I know um, everyone will know, I think, by now the Netflix uh, story where they have a, uh, a no-holiday policy, if you can call a no-holiday policy a policy. But basically, staff are able to go and take as much time off as they want, and they're paid and measured in terms of their productivity and contribution to the organization. They're effectively trusted to be uh, sensible. But where do you stand on those types of ideals and ideas? We do have, um, and it's not, it's not, I'll be honest, not across the entire organization, but at a certain level in the business, we, we give um, what we call unlimited leave where um, individuals have no leave. Um, there's probably, I don't, I don't know now, 25, 30 people who have unlimited leave in the business and we trust them at a leadership level, at a senior level, that they can go and take leave whenever they want and they will deliver what they need to deliver. So we have that and it's been running for years, even before my time. Has it ever caused problems? And I suppose if it hasn't and it's working and you see people... Um, still getting the right work-life balance and productivity. Are there plans potentially to go and explore extending it across the rest of the organization? Yeah, they absolutely are um, plans to. I think one of the things um, that this pandemic has raised, which I'm actually um, working on at the moment, is I think people have lost work-life balance um, with the way of working now where um, you always online you're always accessible, you know, you don't pack up at whatever five, hop as five and say, I'm going home, I'm going to spend time with my children. A lot of people who are working from home are always online. So um, I'm really looking at ways, working with some guys in my team to look at ways that we can bring some work-life balance back um, and, and, and that we have to do in the organization. And um, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a work in progress. We, the Unlimited is an incredibly high-octane business. So to answer your question, we don't have an issue with people taking too much leave. <laughs> if anything, we have the opposite. We have to say mm. to guys, hey, go and, go and take a long weekend or go take a week off, go spend some time with your family. We've implemented now um, from a Friday um, 5.30 to a Monday morning at 7 o'clock, no emails, well, there shouldn't be too many emails, but no communications, no, unless, unless Rome is burning, no, no work communications, just family time. Um, and even in the evenings, we, um, you know, we really encourage guys by, by sort of six hopper six to stop sending um, work messages. You don't always get it right, but I, I think we're getting better at it. All right, so we've got this uh, family photo. It's going to go through. We've got a very purposeful, uh, some very interesting and honest, uh, you know, values. You're always looking for win-win models, open, transparent. Uh, I thought really worth stressing about how you stay in touch with your customers. Capitex, another example where their leadership team are encouraged, forced even to spend time actually in branches talking to customers. Some other organizations could learn from that. Um, taking ownership and allowing people to make mistakes uh, three to six month immersion um, to go and test whether people are actually appropriate for the organization. Culture is the interview first before their technical skills. Only sending two emails a week. I wish we had more because I think there'd be loads more um, ideas that we could go and share out there. Actually, I wish you just published them 
as part of the blogs that you do. So because uh, I just think they're so awesome. And I, I know so few are going to copy it. My question, though, on the back of that is what do you do around experimentation? Because this all sets up a lovely environment to work in. But your future revenue is dependent on experimentation and innovation. That, that's where your future for the next 100 years. How do you go and actually generate that environment where people are willing to go and run these experiments? One of our values is being restless. And again, if we values driven, then we, um, we don't have a shortage of ideas at Unlimited. From, from the shareholders to the board to the senior executive, we don't have a shortage of ideas. Um, we have um, capacity issues. We don't have enough leaders to implement our ideas. So hence the strategy of um, bring in as many good leaders as we can. We actually do not even have a, a, a capacity or limit on it. If somebody is a great leader and they have a good skill set and they're a culture fit, we will, we will hire you at the Unlimited because we have lots of ideas and we have lots of things we want to do and achieve. Um, so it actually a slightly different take on your question, Colin, is that we can continue the innovation, the experimentation, the restlessness, but we can only do it through growing leaders and getting more leaders in the pipeline. And that's our strategy to do it. We really, and I mean this, I, I, I I don't want to sound flippant or or, or, um, or come from a place of ego, but we have lots and lots and lots of ideas. We don't struggle to generate ideas. We don't struggle to go and test them. We have an incredibly agile way of working where we can come up with a product idea. We can grab three. We can drive down to Pine Town. We can put three agents on the telephone. They can test a, They can test the product for an hour, and we can say whether we got a product that's going to work or not. Um, and then we can start building a product and scripting it and, and whatever. So we, we don't struggle with that. I mean, you know, I, I, I haven't been in a little while with the pandemic, but I always go out a few times a year with the sales agents. I go into the field with them. I sell a few policies. Uh, I love it. Hard work, but I love it. And, um, and so we can do that at, a, at, an, at an agile level. We have the ability to test all the time these type of things. And we have the infrastructure and the people and, 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 and that to do it. I think, I think that's a follow-up there because um, I kind of deliberately didn't ask about Sprint and Agile because it's just such an assumption of mine that you're obviously applying those types of models. But where you've just taken that last thread um, is even more experimental. A lot of companies do use Sprint and Agile or Scrum-type models, but they miss that experimentation piece you've just described at the start. I think... We're going to be running out of time, though, to, to dig into that one. But I do want to take that up afterwards, perhaps, and, and maybe we just write a, a short blog on it to go and distribute how you do that, because I think that is absolutely fascinating. But I see Pumi's joined us, which means that we're, we're getting to <laughs> close here. Wow. No, look, it's, it's, it's awesome. Um, so, look, I mean, my views are like, you know, it's true. Heroes don't wear capes anymore. I feel, you know, there's, there's so many things that, uh, that came out of today. I was blown away by how purpose was linked to vision and it flowed so, effort, so smoothly, so effortlessly. <laughs> um, you know, you're shifting lives in a hundred years. That's, that's, you know, that's the, that's the vision and the purpose being linked to the vision. Uh, and also this was behind the heroes campaign. Uh, you know, that was a values-based uh, decision again. 
uh, the bricklayer with 300 uh, people under him. Uh, you know, it demonstrated the power of a purpose-driven sales and distribution model that promoted autonomous high-performance teams. I mean, that's a very powerful demonstration of how you can do that. The restless yeah. real values leading to openness, transparency, and being an ideas-driven engine. You know, it was such a jam-packed session of wonderful life lessons. So I'm so grateful to you, Andrew. Um, thank you so much. Uh, you, you can give us uh, your, your last parting comments, but I mean, it's so difficult when you when you said so much that is that is so useful um, to wrap it up in in a in a in a, in a closing uh, paragraph, final paragraph. Thanks, Pumi. I mean, to you and Colin and the team. I mean, thank you very much um, for having me. Um, it's just um, I just want to share with everyone. You know, I've shared that that at Unlimited. You know, we're always looking for, for strong leaders, but it you spend 80, 90% of your life at work. You might as well work for an organization or be part of an organization that aligns to you at a purpose level. And Unlimited, for me and the people at Unlimited, I can speak openly when I say that every single person who works here deeply aligns to its values and its purpose and therefore, it's not a job. It's part of our lives. It's part of our DNA. It's what we do on a daily basis. So, um, and, and then it's easy. Then, then it's not, uh, it's not hey, how do I grow my CV? I tore my CV up years ago. I don't <laughs> even know where it is. Yeah. Colin, yeah, thank you so much to you as well, Colin. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Andrew, once more. I'd like to also send a shout out to our customers, uh, Buffalo Cold. Um, Demos, uh, Saint Cobain, Love Life, SABC, um, SBV, Cecil, but to name a few. Uh, please join us next week. We're going to be talking to David Katz, uh, founder and CEO of the Plastic Bank. We're going to be talking about the impact of purpose, secular economies, and wider possibilities that the Plastic Bank is demonstrating. So please, could you sign up? Again, Andrew Wood, thank you very much. Thank you, Colin. Thank you so much.